celebrate Christmas. One of my fears uh, as a pastor is uh, during this uh, Christmas uh, season is that we forget the why of Christmas. And I always feel somewhat of a pressure uh, as I preach a sermon either Christmas morning or Christmas Eve to, to really get to the why of Christmas. Why we celebrate it. Why we remember this day. Why we read the Christmas story. Why we sing Christmas hymns and have Christmas feasts. Again, one of my fears is that we forget the why of Christmas. But thankfully, this year is a little bit different for us at Country Oaks, and I know there's a lot of visitors this morning, but uh, for us, by God's grace and providence, we have been studying the why of Christmas uh, for weeks now. This passage in Philippians, uh, I say God's providence because I, I did not plan to be in this portion of Philippians during uh, December. In fact, it was the beginning of December that I'm like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> so we're going to continue uh, looking at Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Um, and, and we've been preaching through this uh, for a number of weeks now. It, it's familiar to us. It was an ancient early church hymn. This is what most scholars believe. A, a hymn of the faith that the early church was probably singing and was familiar with before Paul even wrote the book of Philippians. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but it, it, it seems that way in how this uh, portion of Scripture is written. Uh, Paul used this hymn in his letter, which probably predated the letter. He used this hymn as an example of humility, Christ being an example of humility for the church. It's a hymn that really explains the why of Christmas. So today I want to just do a little review of what we've been learning these last couple weeks in this portion of scripture. And I want to look at this hymn one more time and uh, just really quickly answer four questions about this hymn. The who, the where, the what, and finally I want to spend most of our time on the why. The who, the where, the what, and the why. So let's just start with the who. Who is this hymn about? Now, this is an obvious question because the who is Jesus. This hymn is obviously and clearly about Jesus. It's a focus. He's the focus of this passage. Verse 5 says this, have, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who? Who? And then Paul uses Jesus as an example, this, this hymn. Even in the second half of this hymn, which we learned last week, where God the Father is the one acting, he's exalting, his actions are exalting Jesus. He's still the focus, Jesus, of this amazing passage. So, Really, the easy answer is Jesus. He's the who of the passage. But let me ask a question that is probably more important. In fact, it is more important. We know who the passage is about, but who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And I think this time of year, uh, that's something that we should be asking ourselves as we reflect on this baby in a manger. Who is Who is Jesus? Thankfully, again, our passage really tells us in a, such a short number of verses exactly who Jesus is and his nature. So quickly, four things we have learned about Jesus' nature in this passage. First, he's pre-existent. He's pre-existent. Verse 6 is this, who, though, he was in the form of God. In other words, Jesus existed in the form of God before the incarnation, before the manger, before the birth before the first Christmas, Jesus was in the form of God. 
form of God, which means he pre-existed before, uh, again, the birth, which brings me to my second observation. Jesus is divine, truly God. He's pre-existent because he's divine, and that's what verse 6 says. It says, who, though he was in the form, as we learn, that, that, that Greek word is morphe, in the morphe of God. Right? Morphe means the visible expression of the essential nature of something. Jesus, in other words, his essential nature is God. He is both, has always been, and will always be God. In fact, better translation of verse 6 is this, who, although existing in the form of God, because the verb that's used there, uh, existing in Greek, is in the present tense and has a continuous ongoing aspect to it. In other words, Jesus was, he is, and he will always be divine. He emptied himself, as this passage says, but he didn't empty himself of his divinity. Said he emptied himself by adding humanity. Which brings me to the third thing our passage teaches us about Jesus. He's pre-existent. He's divine, truly God. And third, he's truly human. He's truly human. Verse 6 again says, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself by, this is how he emptied himself, by taking the form of a servant, which that word servant is doulos, it literally means a slave, and being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was truly human, meaning he got hungry, he got thirsty, he was tempted, yet without sin, he got tired, he felt pain, he was a baby. Human mom, he had siblings, he, he learned to walk and talk. He grew in his wisdom and understanding. He was truly human. It was not a facade. He was he was born in the likeness of men. He lived, he died, and he was raised on the third day. Therefore, our passage teaches us one other thing about Jesus. He was raised on the third day, Jesus meaning Jesus is both truly God truly human, and, and he is now at the right hand of the Father as our Lord. Verse 10 says this, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So again, the who of our passage is obviously Jesus, who was preexistent, who is truly God and truly man, and who will always be Lord of all. Which brings me to my next question I want to answer this morning. We know who the who is. Well, let's answer the question, where? Where did this happen? Well, it starts in heaven. Again, Jesus' humility starts in the height of heaven. Verse 6 teaches us that Jesus existed in the form of God. That means before the incarnation, he was truly God in heaven, and he came down from heaven to be with us. And this is consistent in Scripture. Jesus says in John 3.13, no one has ascended 
into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus came down from heaven just like Moses came down from the mountain to be with the people of Israel. Jesus came down from heaven, descended to be with us. John 6, 33 says this, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He came down from heaven to be with us and to give us life. John 6, 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In other words, God the Father was the one that sent Jesus down from heaven to earth. So again, Jesus started in heaven, but he came down to earth. Look at verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus, the pre-existent God, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a a, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him he took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus Jesus again came from heaven and was born to a virgin named Mary who came as a baby but we need to remember again this time of season I think we get focused on the manger and this baby Jesus didn't stay a baby. He grew up as a child in Nazareth. He increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's Luke 2.52. He didn't just stay a child. He became a man. And as a man, he lived a compelling life and a perfect life, perfectly obedient, perfectly sinless and righteous. And listen, falsely accused. He was beaten. He was shamed. He was spat upon. He was stripped naked and nailed to a cross where he died a criminal's death. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he hung 
humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the question you need to ask yourself, even if you know the answer to this question, every time we come to a portion of Scripture like verse 8, we, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why would God send his son to earth just to die? Why, why would Jesus humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? From heaven to earth, but he didn't stop there, from earth to the cross. Why would he do that? Well, I actually think the clearest answer to that question is found in the Old Testament. A passage that we have read a number of times through this sermon series, Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says this, For he, Jesus, for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. In other words, we are all sinners. We all deserve death. We all deserve wrath, eternity in hell. But here's what God did. Out of his love, he laid on him, Jesus, the iniquities of us all. The wrath we deserve poured out on his son so that whoever believes in him will be saved. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's why Jesus humbled himself. So that we could be saved. So that those who trust story doesn't end here. It doesn't end on the cross. It doesn't end in the grave. It, it doesn't end in humiliation. Because on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. And then after that, he ascended into heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father to this day. Because God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. Therefore, the where Jesus went from heaven to earth to heaven again. The where of our passage starts in heaven where Jesus was in the form of God. Then, then he went to earth where Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But it doesn't end there. It ends back in heaven where God highly 
exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Therefore, the who of our passage that we've been in this whole month is Jesus, preexistent, truly God, truly man, Lord of all. The where of our passage starts in heaven before the foundations of the world, then goes to earth where Jesus became a man, then back to heaven where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Brings me to my next question, the, the what. You know, we know the who, we know the where, but what happened? What happened that caused Jesus to leave heaven in the first place to come to earth to, to be born in, in, in a stable in Bethlehem? And, and what happened that brought Jesus back to heaven? Well, two things, as we've learned. First, Jesus humbled himself. Second, God, Father, exalted him. Jesus, in his actions, he humbled himself. God the Father exalted him. There's two parts to this hymn, this beautifully written hymn. The first part is the humiliation of Jesus. Jesus is acting in the first part. Verse 6 says, again, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he, again, he's acting, he, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, literally a slave, being born in the likeness of men and, and being found in human form. Again, Jesus, he's acting, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, the second part of the hymn, God the Father is acting. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. This is the exaltation of Jesus. You have the humiliation of Jesus, the first part of the hymn. The second part of the hymn has the exaltation of Jesus. Verses 6 through 8, Jesus is acting. He humbled himself. Verses 9 through 11, God the Father is acting, and he highly exalted him and bestowed on him. point of this sermon. Why? In fact, when I was thinking about it this morning, why? Why did God do this? Really, the question I want to answer right now is, is, is why do we celebrate Christmas? In fact, I want to take it further than that. Why are you here this morning? Why do you visit family? Why did you get married and have kids? Why do you wake up in the morning and get out of bed? Why? This hymn answers that question. Why did Jesus humble himself and therefore God exalt him? Well, verse 10, so that, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why. The only meaningful thing we do in life is what brings glory to God. Again, at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, 
not at the name Jesus, at the name of Jesus, the name given to Jesus, every knee should bow. Now listen, Jesus has a lot of names around us. In fact, this time of year we hear a lot of them. I mean, just think about it. For example, Jesus, and given to him at birth. Emmanuel, what I just read, which means God with us. Christ, Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and life, the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine, the living stone, the corner stone, the consolation of Israel, Lord of lords and King of kings, King of glory, King of Israel, King over all the earth, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, the light to the Gentiles, the second Adam, the seed of the woman, the Word, the Logos, faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, man of sorrows, mediator, branch of David, redeemer, savior, comforter, deliverer, judge, high priest, prophet, teacher, rabbi, Lord, only begotten son, advocate, rock, Bridegroom of of the church, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the morning star, the image of the invisible God, the living one, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and, and I could just keep going. The names and titles of Jesus are many which shows us one thing, Jesus is important, (laughs) according to Scripture. But out of all the names and titles given to Jesus, there is only one name that's above every name. And that's Yahweh. Again, look at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I've given a number of arguments for why we should assume Paul is referring to Yahweh here, not the name Jesus, not the name even Lord, but he's referring to Yahweh here, the divine name of God. You can go back, I gave at least two whole sermons really talking about that, and if you want to go back and listen to those sermons, but but I want to give you a, a third argument this morning, and probably the strongest argument. And I want to do this for one main reason. And here's why. 
this time of year, as we celebrate Christmas, we need to remember that Jesus was not just human. That Jesus was not just a baby in a manger. He didn't just come and, and was be, been born. He, he, he wasn't just in a manger. He wasn't born to a, a, a just a, a virgin mother. But he was God. And if he was not Christmas is not worth celebrating. If Jesus wasn't truly God, his birth is not all that important. The miracle of Christmas is not just that a virgin gave birth. It's not just angels came. The, the miracle of Christmas is the incarnation God with us. So again, look at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, here's the reason why, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, Paul is actually quoting the Old Testament here in verses 10 and 11. When he says, every knee should bow and every tongue confess, that is a quote from the Old Testament. And I want to show you this. So if you would, turn to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. I want you to look at verse 23. I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that, that shall not uh, return, and here it is. To me, to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance or, or confess. That's what Paul's quoting in Philippians 2, 10 through 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul is quoting Isaiah 45, verse 23. Now, here's my question. In Isaiah 45, who's talking? Who's the me in verse 23? To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Well, look at verse 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Listen, Isaiah 45, this chapter, is actually a poem. It's, it's one of the poems that we see in uh, uh, the book of Isaiah, and uh, it's one of the most monotheistic chapters in all of Scripture. It's a poem where Yahweh is declaring there is no other God besides me. And Paul quotes this passage to describe Jesus. In fact, this is what I want to do this morning. 
Let me just read Isaiah 45, just two huge chunks of this passage, uh, because I want you to get the context of verse 23, what Paul is quoting. Now remember, the hymn that, that this is in was an early church hymn that the church would have seen, meaning a lot of Jewish Christians who were very familiar with Isaiah 45 were probably singing this hymn and knew exactly what it referred to. I'm going to read from the Legacy Standard Bible because it actually uses the divine name instead of the word Yahweh, capital L-O, or instead of the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Uh, I think it's helpful in this passage to actually use God's divine name as I read here. Let me just start in verse 1, and if you want, just listen. Thus says Yahweh, Cyrus has anointed me, whom I have taken hold of, his right hand, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him, so that the gates will not be shut. And here's what Yahweh says, verse 2. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places, so that you may know that it is I, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name and have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. Verse 5, I am Yahweh, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know that from the rising to the setting of the sun, that there is no one besides me. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, producing peace and creating calamity, completely sovereign over both light and dark, good and evil. I am Yahweh who does all these. Verse 8. Drip down, O heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up and salvation bear fruit and righteousness spring up with it. I, Yahweh, have created it. Then verse 18, we skip down to verse 18, it says this, For thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a formless place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh. There is no one else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in a formless place. I, Yahweh, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. Gather yourself and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They do not know who carry about their graved images of wood and pray to a God who cannot save. Verse 21. Declare and draw near with your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has made this herd from, from of old? Who has long since declared it? It is, is it, is it not I, Yahweh? And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for 
I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not, not turn back that to me. Here it is. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and swear allegiance. That's what Paul quotes about Jesus. Verse 24. They will say of me, only in Yahweh are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who are angry at him will be put to shame. In Yahweh, all the seed of Israel will be justified and will boast. Listen, this is the passage Paul is quoting when he says, So that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Or better yet, Jesus Christ is Yahweh. And all of this is to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, the why why of our passage is the glory of God. The why of your life is the glory of God. The why you are celebrating tomorrow is the glory of God. Again, the who is Jesus. Preexistent, truly God, truly human, Lord of all. The where starts in heaven, then earth, then back into heaven at the right hand of the Father. The what is the humiliation of Jesus where he came down all the way down to the cross and therefore the exaltation of Jesus all the way back up to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And finally, the why. The why is so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And listen, again, this is why we celebrate. This is why we worship. This is why we come together and remember the story of Jesus. We do all of this to the glory of God. Here's my hope, and really the purpose of the sermon this morning. My hope is that as we celebrate Christmas today, tonight, especially tomorrow, that we remember and reflect on the who, the where, the what of Jesus, and finally, the why, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. so clearly explains who Jesus is, what he did, where he came from, and why he did it. God, I pray tomorrow as we reflect on Jesus as a baby in a manger, Lord, that we do not 
forget his past, pre-existence, creator of everything just by speaking. That we don't forget that he didn't stay a baby, that he grew up, became a man, died on the cross for our sins, was raised on the third day, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, and will be Lord of lords for eternity. God, I pray that the next couple days are just days full of worship, full of joy because of your Son, because of your love that sent him for us to die on the cross for us, that we reflect on all these things. That's my prayer in your son's name.